Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Schmidt. We're here with Angus James. We're at the Broadway Wine Merchants in Eugene. It's July 28th, 2022. Angus, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, first question to get you started is why wine? Why wine? Well, I love wine. <laughs> so that, was, that was pretty easy. Um, wine was just a natural progression um, for um, wanting to stay in Eugene with my family. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to be in at the very beginning, and so um, it's uh, it's what really what made the most sense. So um, I was an international studies major and a French major, and so you know if I wanted to stay in Eugene, um, I was lucky enough to have uh, a family business that we could work with, and um, we saw the wine department as. an area of, pot- of potential growth. You know, in small business, you either shrink or grow, mm-hmm. and so uh, we saw the the wine area and actually the beer area at the time. You know, this is going back into the '80s, so we saw both of those as areas of potential growth, so that we could feed more mouths mm-hmm. uh, with the with the family business, and that's kind of what happened. So tell me about the family business. Uh, you you grew, grew up in the area? Yeah, so I grew up in Eugene. And uh, when I was a kid, I met my wife. She, uh, she and I met in junior high school. <laughs> and um, we started dating after high school. But in high school, most of uh, our group of friends, uh, a lot of them worked for her dad. And her dad decided to, um, he, had, he was managing a restaurant at the time. And he decided to start his own company, and it was these small corner grocery stores. And um, so I was fresh out of high school, and and um, he offered me an opportunity to um, manage the stores, and and um, so we did that. And there were five stores at the time, and one of which, um, the New Frontier, uh, was one of Eugene's first real. Um, natural food stores, and um, yeah, I remember back in the beginning, you know, buying, you know, cases of uh, microbrews, or in, in, you know, at that at that point, they were, you know, it was still like Sierra Nevada and Anchor Steam, you know, they were pretty exotic, <laughs> exotic products, and you know, my father-in-law being like, oh my gosh, these these beers are so expensive, and I was like, yeah, I think I think this is a direction we can go, mm-hmm. and um, and like I said, you know, in small business, you're the shrinker grows, so. Um, you know, a lot of different things transpired, but uh, it, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there was a, an opportunity to um, expand the company, and um, and so we built the uh, the Broadway Wine Merchants, which was actually New Frontiers Broadway when it first started, and we that went in downtown, and being as this is my hometown, I was up on my soapbox to promote downtown for for a solid decade, and during that time. Um, we put in a wine bar. Um, I think I was the first one to combine um, on-premise and retail in a legitimate way. You know, not not uh, you know not just getting your on-prem license, but not really doing it. We had a full kitchen, and um, 
we did you know amazing wine dinners and just all you know all sorts of things. Yeah, but we were just really in the wrong location. So um, you know over over uh, the course of that decade, um, things evolved and. I feel like I'm off track on the, no, on the question great. that you asked. Great. <laughs> so, well, how did the Broadway wine merchants come into existence? I mean, that's that's kind of what I was driving at, and and uh, I was very fortunate. My um, my in-laws decided to sell the sell the company, and um, you know we had a couple of kids, and and by now we had really built the wine you know up the the wine business pretty significantly. So, um, I uh, was extremely fortunate and and uh, took on a business partner who um, just was so dedicated to what we were what we were doing and um, you know she really invested heavily in, in um, really continuing what we saw as the um, um, I don't know um, how to say you know, there, at, the, at the time, there were a couple of really good shops in Eugene, and um, you know, we just saw a lot of potential to um, you know, expand the the interest and knowledge uh, in in our community uh, in wine, and you know, we were just super lucky. So, anyway, that was pretty rough downtown, and eventually, um, uh, I, I moved out to, uh, you know, I bought her out and moved out to the, uh, out to the Oakway. So, so I want to back up for a second. And I'm, yep. I'm curious about the, you mentioned kind of being being early on in both wine and microbrews. So tell me about your kind of initial impressions of the wine and beer culture uh, that you were that you were working working on, and what made you think it had potential. Well, um, you know, I was super, super lucky. I was young. I was 18 years old. So, um, I mean, Russ Rainey used to deliver wine to me out of the, you know, out of his hatchback, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it was, um, you know, the early days of, uh, of Evesham Wood. So, um, I guess I was just, I, I, I got bit you know, pretty early when, when all of these guys, it was such a cottage industry. We were in the natural foods industry that was sort of had a, you know, had a commonality to it where people were, you know, helping each other to understand what was, you know, what was transpiring in the industry. And that was really the flavor of the Oregon wine industry in particular in the mm -hmm. beginning. And, um, and so I was so fortunate. I mean, all those guys, Dick Ponzi and David Lett, you know, it just, I, I was able to get to know this entire group of pioneers and um, and then I just never left so what did you think of the wines in the early days well you know I was young like I, you know I was 18 years old I got a special permit from the OLCC so that I could actually sign the checks to the to, you know to buy the beer and wine and so um, so you know I didn't have a great deal of experience of that uh, in the in the very beginning um, but I understood you know the you know the the uh, Historical significance, you know, the shift that that Oregon could become a, um, you know, an, an internationally legitimate wine region, and um, you know, fortunately, I got to try a lot of a lot of things and in and in, in a lot of experiments and and uh, um, develop my palate, you know, through through that whole time as a as a youngster. So, as I said, a lot of different things happened over the years. So, you know, I ended up. 
bartending at a pretty nice place. And when I, when I, you know, I left the company, went back to college, and you know, figuring that if I didn't do it then, I never would. So in my early 20s, I was, you know, I bartended, and and, and uh, um, you know, a lot of things. I mean, a, a lot of um, United States wine was really just starting. I mean, like it was the beginning of Opus One. It was just all, you know, there's just all these things happening that. Um, you know, we're just creating more of a buzz in the industry as a whole. And so, um, you know, I just kind of got bit. My wife and I lived in France. We went to school in France. And that was just such a part of the culture that that was, that was you know, that probably had more of an impact on me than I realized at the time. But, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, when you're a kid and you're thinking, oh, I want to, you know, drink some beers with my friends or something, you're not really thinking about, Gosh, I'd really like to explore Cornas or something like that, you know. But you know, you go and you, you know, you live in in France, and you, and it's just such a, you know, everyday just part of your life that it's, um, you know, takes some of the um, doesn't take the allure off it. It just sort of brings it down, and that's what we've tried to do with our shop is just to not have it be. You know something that's so in, in, intimidating. You know, you know, I think any specialty shop for anything, you have expert, ex, you know, some level of expertise that people expect when they're walking through the door. Well, we want to make that as accessible as possible. I don't use shelf talkers. I don't. You know, it's like we want to just engage and, you know, the best wine is the wine you like best. It's, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm indifferent to whatever your, you know, your, your, where your interests lie. And so, um, you know, there's some, you know, I think there's some. Uh, I don't know, charm to that really, just to let, you know, let it just be part of our lives and not, you know, not, you know, some elusive thing, you know, so. You talked about kind of the pairing of wine and food as being kind of a big part, especially uh, your original location. So tell me about uh, as the wine program was growing, what were you finding were successful ways of introducing people to wines, and what were you finding people were kind of looking for when when they were coming to your to your business? Well, you know, as I said, uh, this was really the um, the beginning of what we are, of what now you know people walk into this industry now. And first of all, it's an industry; it's not just. You know, it's not like something in the old world that was born out of agriculture. I mean, people are, are entering into this with, you know, business in mind. And um, and so we did a lot of things in the beginning that we that, that are so commonplace now, whether, you know, it's like a, a, a tasting or, a, you know, a flight program or, you know, pairings with cheeses or pairings with food. It's like, you know, all of these things, you know, that the, if you go back, you know, nearly, well, 40 years now, then you know that's a lot of that was just trial and error until we found what really worked. So by the time we were at the Broadway downtown 20 years ago, um, you know, it's ironed out some of that, and 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 we 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 started to do wine dinners. We did wine dinners um, once a month for all 10 years that we were down there. So I mean, pretty close to once a month. So you know, over a hundred dinners in that, in that decade. And I was so fortunate, you know, the way that I approached it was to have something special, you know, that, that would differentiate me from my competitors, you know, maybe something, a library release or, you know, something that other, you know, people couldn't otherwise obtain. And that, you know, you know, suited my business very well. You know, I kept it very small. I think that was another thing too. I think that, you know, that there's so much that happens that's you know just so overblown 
that we we try to just keep it really personal and intimate. You yeah. know, so small dinners, 24 people at the most, and you know, a, a, a winemaker. I don't want to waste their time. You know, a winery owner, a winemaker comes in, and you know, if I have a room of 100 people, then maybe they touch 10. You know, but if I have a room of 24 people, they'll engage with all 24 people, mm -hmm. and you know, that just is a better experience for everybody. So I, ke I kept it that way, and 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 was very lucky. I had some really amazing chefs over the years that did a great job of, of uh, melding food and wine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, wine's meant to be enjoyed with people, you know, so, so it's really, it's, it's, it's really fun that way. You can try more things that way. You mentioned some of mentioned meeting all of the kind of the early guys in the industry. I'm, I'm curious about developing those relationships, especially being in, in Eugene versus being up in you know Dundee or Newburgh. So sure. tell me about how you, what what were the efforts you made? How did you build those relationships? And what were you offering that they were excited about? Um, well, I think that you know offering something that wasn't up in Dundee or Portland. You know, it's a you know Eugene's pretty big and it's a college town, so there's you know level of appreciation, sophistication that I think. Um, you know, they, you know, I think people probably recognize they, you know, wanted to be in the Eugene market. Like I said, there was some really good, one, one shop in particular that's a competitor of mine that I think it was a really good shop and continues to be. And, um, but I, you know, they're, they're not doing the full scale like I, like I have, you know, we developed the bistro, so we've got, you know, wine bar and, and, uh, and bottle shop together. And, um, I think that, you know that exposure to expand, you know, the offerings, and, and in the beginning, I think it was really just getting the word out, and then it's you know now, um, it's really like where do you want to be? There's so much DTC now, you know, and and particularly since the pandemic, um, you know, with the ease of the um, shipping for wineries versus retailers, and and with um, you know really great websites and Zoom and everything that you can do, you know, the, you know, DTC has become a very big part of the industry. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, you know, a lot of folks who still honor the, the relationship, you know, that with a shop like mine. Mm -hmm. And I think that's appealing, you know, for them to know, you know, for people that are in this market to know they come to come to my shop and they're going to see things that they're not going to see just anywhere. I think it's, you know, that's desirable for the for the wineries to to want to be mm -hmm. in here. Um, and there's a lot of folks, you know, like you mentioned Stephen Hagen uh, earlier from Antiquium, you know, that, you know, he makes a barrel, you know, Andrew makes a barrel of wine just for us every year. So it's only available here, recognizing that in the proximity to Eugene, you know, after I spent a few years, you know, selling all of their initial offerings, it's very easy for them to just pull all those customers away and have them all be wine club members. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I understand that that's, that's going to happen, but, you know, to sort of honor the fact that we help to establish that, you know, we do a barrel that's just for the Broadway. And so that's the only place that that particular wine is available. And um, so, you know, back to the, you know, to those early days, um, gosh, I really was just so lucky. And it's just really kind of incredible. And, and honestly, it's... Um, it's pretty humbling. I, I I have gone to up to, you know, whether it's you know Pinot Camp or, you know, uh, whatever, it might be. You know, go up into wine country, and you know, I kind of feel like you know we're, I'm just on an you know on an island down here. But then I go up and and 
you know, I remember walking into Adelsheim, uh, you know, a few years ago and like go to introduce myself to, to David Adelsheim. He's like, do you, like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, I, we, we've been doing this for decades now. And, and so I, I kind of forget because of that distance mm -hmm. that, um, that I actually really do have a connection um, up there. But it's, uh, it's been great over the years. I mean, really, um, you know, I really feel like we, uh, we offered uh, an enthusiasm, you know, to answer your question more directly, I think we offered an enthusiasm for the wine world that um, was, you know, appealing to these mm -hmm. people that are, you know, putting their blood, sweat and tears into making, you know, making their, their winery work and, and we're excited about it. And, you know, so I think that, you know, they recognize that we're a spot that that would, that would uh, carry over into the community and, you know, help further their mission. Mm -hmm. So talk about wine education a little bit. I'm curious from, from your perspective, first of all, getting into it so young and so early, tell me about learning wine, the process of learning what you liked, what would sell, and, and how, to, how to communicate and relate with both winemakers and customers. Mm. Well, I think that is, um, that's something you can't teach. And so I think that's really, that's a, that's a hard question to answer because, um, you know, the longer that I do this, the more I realize that, you know, my little niche is, is, um, is unique, you know, that, uh, um, you know, I had a lot of OJT, you know, just tasting wines and deciding, you know, whether, you know, you know, whether I thought it was, you know, it was indicative of, uh, of what it should be. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, you know, actually I had a, I have a criteria for the, for the shop, you know, that the, the wines need to be indicative of the place from which they came. So, um, even if it's delicious, I don't really want a California Sauvignon Blanc that tastes like it came from New Zealand, even if it's great, you know, it's like this. So there's has to be a level of confidence that the consumer can have, you know, looking at the shelves. It's, it needs to have a good price to value ratio, you know, whether it's a, you know, $200 bottle or a, you know, $12 bottle. And, um, and then recently I actually did add, um, you know, now that my kids are out of school and I just, I just don't feel like I have to get every single sale that's out there. If it's not made by, sold by, you know, a nice person, then like I'm out. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't care how good your wine is. I, just, I don't want to be involved with it. So um, there's that. So I did a lot of tasting and, um, and fortunately I've been doing this for such a long time. You know, I have a, a pretty big client base and so Oftentimes when I'm tasting something and deciding whether it's a fit, you know, for, for the shop, then, um, you know, I'm usually thinking about who it's, who it's going to. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I can't come up with some people that I, that I you know, know where it's going to go, then I guess the second level is, is that something I can turn people onto with the wine bar? Because that's, that's what's super fun about about having a chalkboard that you can change the specials on. I mean, I don't have to have a corporate meeting to decide, wow, this is delicious, let's put it on the chalkboard tomorrow, you know? And so um, that's fun to, you know, just allow, you know, so much more exploration in wine. Mm -hmm. so. When it comes to finding wine, do you find yourself seeking out wine more often or do you, ha you find yourself with people coming to you selling their wine more often? 
Yeah, I don't really seek it out that often. Um, I certainly did in the beginning. I can remember chasing, you know, John Thomas, you know, trying to get. <laughs> Tell me about you it. Know, trying, trying to get. I mean, I sold so much Acme just to get, you know, a couple of bottles of, uh, you know, Thomas Pino. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely been things that I've that I've pursued. Actually, it's kind of, I mean, you know, just as an aside uh, story. Um, Ken Wright has just been so it's such so so gracious with his time over all the years. And um, and I guess, you know, John Paul for that for that matter too with Cameron. You know, these are guys that it was so hard for me to get their wine in the beginning because we're just this little shop in Eugene. And uh, you know, it's like wow, my my total allocation of Leonetti is one bottle of Merlot and one bottle of Cab, you know, it's like but you know, I've been doing it for so long that now, you know, six packs come in. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way it was, certainly with John, uh, with Cameron. I mean, in the beginning, I would just tell him, like, I'll just buy whatever you'll sell me. Mm-hmm. And so, and actually, I continue to do that today. And, you know, whereas he used to, you know, <laughs> well, I'm going fishing and I've got the dog, and so I'll bring you, you know, two cases of wine. You know, now he's like, well, I had to bring the van, and so that's good. <laughs> and I always get something. Um, and there are things that I that I pursued when Ken and Erica got uh, Walter Scott going. Um, you know, I would uh, you know he came and showed me those wines, and they were just so good. And I you know I really hounded him to make sure that I got some of everything. And now I, they continue to do that. I mean, just make sure that I get some of you know each and everything that they make, and that's that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. That's pretty nice. Um, but I didn't really pursue it. You know, so many people bring their wines to me and and also I think that you know not having you know such a a, um, staunch idea about what I think needs to be where the direction that things are going and just sort of let that happen more organically um, that I think has been good instead of just stomping my feet that this is what my shop's going to be and this is the direction that we're going and yeah, I mean, there's times I got up on my soapbox about something. I mean, we our, our sparkling wine and champagne selection is unreal. I mean, we, we, we got on that, like, way, 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 way back when the grower thing was just sort of just peeking its head over the ledge, you know? And, and, and um, I think that, you know, not being so staunch in, in um, know my belief that you know like I said the best wine is wine you like best so it's like you know let's let that grow and and as people show me things I can decide whether or not it you know it's really works for me mm-hmm. you know I think the whole natural wine movement thing now it's like I don't really get that I'm just you know and so I don't know if I'm just so old you know I mean I sharpened my pencil with my pocket knife so <laughs> you know I don't I don't know if uh if I'm just, you know, too far beyond that or whether it seems to me like, you know, there's already a lot of really great practices that have been around forever, um, whether it's, you know, Palo Bay or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, that's, so I think there's a lot of pretty mediocre wine with really cool labels on it. And, um, you know, so we try to have some integrity around, around it. I mean, I still have to taste it and decide whether it works for our shop and, you know, which makes it pretty simple. I don't have some hard, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a horse in that race. I don't. I don't care. You know what? Other, what works for others. You know, but uh, just as far as my shop goes, as long as it sort of maintains that criteria of being a quality product at a good price, and it's fine. 
the other part of why education I'm curious about is the the teaching part, and of course, especially early on when the when the industry was just becoming an industry, and and I'm, and people weren't quite sure what to make of it yet. I'm curious about your role in that. What did you find people were curious about? What did you find um, they were asking about? And what, what, what did you find sold wine? What were the most important things to sell a wine? Well, um, what people were most interested about is being able to articulate what, what it is that they liked. And so um, I taught classes for a long time, probably a decade or more. and. Um, and then I just sort of gave up on that because what I, what I found, honestly, was the better that you educated people and the more available wine became, as it's in every grocery store now, and you know you can go get your nails done and have a glass of wine. You can go shop for some clothes and you can have a glass of wine. You know? So um, you did, we became less, you, you know, less necessary. Mm -hmm. you know, the, helping people to understand how to navigate a label and understanding that the old world may, might not spell it out for you. They have an expectation that you're going to understand what's in the bottle based on where it's from, mm -hmm. you know, rather than in the new world where we put it right on the, on the label for them. And so just all of those things to just sort of break it down. And I think that's what people were really looking for in the beginning was, you know, people were getting excited about the wine culture, but really not knowing how to access it without feeling embarrassed or mm -hmm. intimidated. Mm -hmm. And so we tried to just break that down and make it easy. When I, when I did teach classes, we would basically focus on the big six, you know, th you know, three whites, three reds that make up, comprise most people's wine experiences and, and, um, and then give really clear examples of those and help people to understand, you know, hey, if somebody says buttery, you know, this is, this is typically what they're referring to. Now, if you can get that taste in your mouth and you can decide, so just so that you know, and, um, you know, that, but I, it, it's so readily available that I stopped teaching classes because it just, um, there wasn't a lot of loyalty with that. You know, I mean, I've got an amazing amount of clients and I'm super blessed that people have, you know, followed me out to this location and, and, and that this location has been so good um, to build new clients. And, um, but I, I, I don't really do that, that education piece so much anymore. So. But I do find that we are continuing, you know, constantly educating people with having the wine bar. You know, because you you know you walk in and actually I hired a guy one time because he came in and he said, oh, I'd like to try that chocolate. <laughs> I was like, well, since you can pronounce it, <laughs> maybe you'd like to work here too. <laughs> you know, so um, you know, there's, there's there's such a great opportunity to try you know to try wines that we're constantly mm -hmm. giving people more of an education on that. So I say all the time that like our our house pours are right down the middle of the plate. You know, there's just there's it's. The wines are completely indicative of, of what those grapes should take slight from those regions, and so you're, it's, a, it's a safety zone. Um, but then the chalkboard offers, you know, so many other um, possibilities. That, you know, there's always something interesting on there to try. Coming back up for a second to your previous location, uh, tell me about uh, the as as you're growing the business there. What were some of the were there sort of milestones along the way for you, or were there were there goals reached along the way, and at what point did you realize that the location needed to change to take, to take the next step? No, I really I didn't uh, actually have um, milestones that were reached. Um, we did horribly down there from a business standpoint, and uh, the business partner that I had really saved the business. I mean, she, she had a willingness to, you know, she continued to believe in me, which was incredible, and she continued to believe in what we were doing, and that, um, you know, that allowed us to 
persist, um, but really any, any, <laughs> you know, I don't know, you want to say wiser, but you know, <laughs> most people would have, would have thrown in the towel. Um, but, um, you know, eventually we just needed a new location. Honestly, when I moved out here, I didn't, I didn't have any idea if, if I was doing the right thing, but I just, in my gut, I just felt like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still believing this, you know, mm-hmm. and I, but it wasn't like some solid business plan or anything. I just was like, I, I really think that what we're doing is special and, and, um, and it proved to be, I was very fortunate. I had a really good crew in the beginning that, um, you know, just helped get this, this, this location rolling. Mm-hmm. So we needed to get out of downtown because it's just, um, the way that the city has evolved, it's really not central. It's not, it's not a downtown for Eugene. You know, I said you grew up here. And it's like you know that <clears throat> this side of town is is actually more centrally located. The way that the city has has grown, and so it's a um, it's just a more accessible mm-hmm. location, and it's proven to be really good for us. So, with with this location, then adding in the wine bar, tell me about the evolution since you've been here. What are the what are the biggest changes? What are the biggest sort of accomplishments in this site? Well, um, when I first moved out here, this was about 4,500 square feet, and I only took about half of it. And um, as I said, I was very uncertain about about whether what I was doing even made sense. Mm -hmm. And um, we built up a really strong following. Um, I've got a great wine club. I've got um, a lot of loyal customers. We did wine dinners, we did all sorts of things. Um, and in 2000 and, September of 2019, the space on the other side, you know, because I had cut it in half, and the space on the other side of our corner here was available. And so, you know, we, I cut open the wall and moved the bottle shop over and and gave the bistro, you know, more of a footprint of its own instead of just having it all packed in tight, which is kind of has its own charm to be all packed in tight like that. Um, but it, it actually, it revealed how significant of a wine selection we have. It's because it was so tight before you couldn't quite tell, but now you walk in, you're like, oh, there's a lot of wine here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so giving both of these You know their own space, but you know the bistro and the wine and the bottle shop, its own space. Um, that um, that was, you know, a huge plus for for coming to this location. That was a big accomplishment. But of course, then the pandemic hit, and so this the bistro side was the most expensive warehouse in town for 18 months. And then, um, but we survived. You know, I mean, we I, we pivoted pretty hard in the beginning. I think that my experience from downtown with uh, how difficult uh, it was to get anything going in, in downtown Eugene really helped me in the long run when I, you know, in March of uh, 2020, you know, it was pretty clear what was about to happen and I just pivoted pretty quickly and, and firmly and just and didn't waver until we could start, you know, really having people back in. So there wasn't this roller coaster ride. Which, um, which was pretty tough because it was pretty much just me for those 18 months. Mm-hmm. So. 
with that kind of pivot, what were the kind of the the adjustments you made to, to get through? What were what, what did you as you saw it coming? What did you think? This is what we have to be now. Um, well, of course, I knew that we couldn't uh, have people in for the on-premise, you know, part of what we were doing, and we really weren't set up for to-go food, and so we just um, we just packaged up everything, all the food products that we had, and sent all of our employees home with everything that we had, and said, you know, we're we're not we're, we're stopping this, um, and then I was able to keep the bottle shop going, and. Um, and you know, in, gosh, in the beginning, I mean, that was really, <laughs> it was pretty intense because we had no idea, if you think back to the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we had no idea um, how this was spreading and what to do, you know, so I would, um, I got, um, John Paul gave me a couple of wine barrels and so I was like, okay, I'm going to set the wine out on the barrel. I would talk to people on the phone through the window. You know what I'd say? <laughs> I'm going to put your wine out on the barrel. When you see the door close behind me, you can come and get it. <laughs> you know? and, then, and we only ordered in full cases. My daughter came you know, every delivery day and, and uh, no partial cases, only full boxes. Wiped everything down before we moved it into the shop. I didn't allow people in the shop. And then, of course, the weather changed. It got a little colder. And so um, I started having the, the doors um, open at one point. And then, as it got colder, built a little fence. It was kind of fun. It was out of all, I should have taken a picture. It was out of all these Opus One boxes. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, good use for all those box sides. Anyway, built a little fence, and, and then people could step in. It was 30 feet wide, so you could step in, and there was enough room to move to one side or the other. And I shopped for people, which, you know, you, you would have never known, but you got to look for the silver linings. I mean, that, that turned out to be so great because people, you know, it kind of forced a dialogue, and, and um, they, you know, gained a lot of confidence in our in, in our ability to help them to select wines, to listen to them, and get them what they're asking for, and and um, and it was so efficient, you know, instead of you know wandering around and then feeling like, well, maybe I'll ask for some help, and maybe I won't, you know, just it's like that was the only way to do it. So it was really efficient. It was really fun, and and uh, you know, a lot of cool things happened, you know, during that time, and and and. Uh, yeah, I, th I think that uh, that helped to uh, confirm, you know, that, that we do have something to offer that's different than just picking up your wine at, a, at, the, at the grocery store. I mean, nothing against that. You're there, you're shopping, they've got a nice selection of wine, you, make a, you pick a bottle, I, I get it. Um, but, uh, you know, if, you, if people want to have, um, you know, specialty shops in their community, whether it's, you know, clothes or bicycles or books or music or you know or wine then you got to support it and and so um that actually really helped us a lot it, you know in hindsight it, that was the silver lining you, know? you you brought up earlier the wine club tell me how your wine club operates well what's unique about my wine club is um that it's it's geared towards each individual member's taste interest budget and volume and so it's not like, oh man, I got, you know, such a great deal on Ayers 2021 Pinot Noir. Everybody's going to get that. Um, it is. Um, it takes a little while, you know, to do it because I make custom selections for people, and so I have some people who get three bottles. I have some people who get three cases, and um, and so again, it's it's geared towards your area of interest and your, your budget and your volume and, um, and then I make custom picks and so it's wonderful when the wineries have their own 
club, wine club, and so um, that's you know that's its own thing. And what differentiates us from that is that we have the world of wine from which to choose, and they have the wines that they produce. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I don't experience a great deal of attrition. I don't promote it, so you can walk in, you won't see any signs for it or anything like that. Because what I found over the years is that word of mouth is really what does it. You know, people um, get you know hear about it from somebody else, and if they're asking me, then. Um, they're you know they're already in but mm -hmm. if I'm trying to sell it to them then they feel like I've tried to sell them something and that's not really what I'm trying to do it's like you know this is the best way to you know to find new things maybe I'll keep an eye out for something that I know that you really love mm -hmm. and make make sure that you get that each year if it's a small you know uh, highly allocated or small um, release uh, wine or um, or even if it's not if you just say if your your favorite thing goes on deal mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I should probably make your wine club six of these this month because that's one of your favorites and it's on deal, you know. So, so it's really very personalized, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm super lucky that that people, um, you know, in, had that much confidence in my ability to help them select select wines in the beginning. And they're like, yeah, that seems like a good thing. And you know, they, I'm not really about, you know, the, um, you know, like. Uh, Everything's got to be on discount or a deal or you know or something like that. Of course, I have case discounts, and you know, because someone somewhere along the way in the beginning said that was a good idea. You know, <laughs> so you know, but if you buy buy multiple bottles of something, then you know you get a break. Which you know, I don't know. I mean, I love my bookstore, and I don't go in there and say, "Hey, Jeremy, I'm buying three books instead of one." Can you know you can give me a better price? So, but anyway, it's part of the industry, and that's fine. Um, but but you know, really, what ours is about is not like. You know what type of of incentives do you get with that? It's that you you actually just get that personal care, mm -hmm. and uh, which we give to everybody. So, but uh, but if you're in the wine club, then then uh, you know maybe you find out about something that mm -hmm. you know like we've got this this incredible box rosé that we get from Burl, and uh, you know I just as soon take the whole palette, and you know and I have enough people that want that. It's like only one palette comes to Oregon. And uh, anyway, that's a side thing, but but it's it's a good example of like why being in the wine club makes sense, you know, because I'm only going to get a hundred of those boxes. So, you know, amazing. If you want one, then <laughs> hope you're in the right place at the right time. <laughs> so, or I can call you. Tell me about uh, a new customer. How, how, someone walks in the shop you know you don't have a relationship with. What's your kind of process for figuring out what you're going to do to help them, and, and how do you sort of determine what role you're going to play in that in that relationship? Well, the first you know the first thing that we do is just to um, uh, have a conversation. You know, so just you know I think that a lot of the you know common courtesies. You know, I was thinking about it actually just today when people say, have a nice day. It's like, are you really thinking about what you're saying? You know, do you really, you know, is that a sincere thing or is that just, are you just throwing that out there? You know, but, but really we just try to, you know, ascertain the purpose for their visit. You know, where the, one of the things about this location is gifting is, is, a, is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, just sort of ascertain what they're, what they're looking for and, you know, make them, hopefully make them comfortable enough to, you know, to... Uh, open up a little bit about what they want or if they just want to be left by themselves. We're a hard shop to be completely left by yourselves because as I said we don't use shelf talkers or anything. So so I don't have, you know, 
the scores and mm -hmm. all that on my on my shelves. And so, you know, if you I think that's probably a business flaw on my part at some some point, you know, that there's probably plenty of people that don't want to have a conversation. They just want to come in and, and kind of figure it out on their own. And we're a harder shop to do that in. But but uh, but our our mo is to uh, you know engage with with somebody, find out kind of what what they're after, and, and listen to them. You know, it's not you know the Broadway experience is not like some limited thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's you know it's it's what you're bringing to it as well as a as a customer. So you're you're coming in with you know something that you're seeking and we're trying to satisfy that with that said how have your customers changed over the years well there's certainly a lot more knowledge you know the the knowledge base is much greater than it uh, than it used to be we've got a lot of people you know a lot of young folks who who really know their wine mm -hmm. and uh, and and have some opinion about what they're what they're seeking that's super fun so um, that's one area where it's changed. Um, you know, again, I think that the, the whole accessibility, like I, I have an amazing selection of $10 and under wines. You know, I've had that for like 20 years. It's like these are, these are all things that are varietally correct, indicative of the place that they're from, you know, just really, really good wines. Um, and they're inexpensive. And because we're a specialty shop, people don't necessarily think, oh, that's what we're that's what I'm after. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I go there to buy a nice gift for somebody, but my daily wine, I'm not. I just pick that up when I'm someplace mm -hmm. else, like the grocery store or whatever. And I think that that um, that is one area, one thing that's changed quite a bit. You know, in the beginning, I did a, I get a huge volume out of that ten dollar and under section because, you know, everybody was just getting into wine. But now that everybody's already into wine, you know that that that's that's not as significant of a piece for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still have people that know how great that is and what what kind of value that is, and you know they'll come in and just mix up a case. You know, I mean, someone does that every day, but but it's not like it used to be. Mm -hmm. So yeah. more knowledge, more interest. Yeah. Do you, do you find the questions you're getting are different, or the expectations are different? Um. Yeah, I think that the questions are, are a little bit more informed than they used to be. You know, people have a little greater idea about, I mean, even if it's something obscure, like I was on, when, when we got on, um, when I got on my soapbox about the Jura, for example, you know, maybe 10 years ago now, um, that was so esoteric and weird, and now, you know, that's, that's you know, people come in and have, an, you know, I'm looking for some... Trousseau. I heard that Jason Lett planted some Trousseau. You know, it's like I want to compare that to something from you know from uh, uh, you know from the Jura. And so you know that's kind of that's really fun because that's that just shows how much the the industry's evolved. Mm -hmm. so. um, I'm curious also about like when what what do you find is is selling wine to people? What are people are looking for? And has that changed at all? Are they looking for is it price? Is it value? Is it label? Is it varietal region? Like, what are the what are the kind of the, the key things, and has it changed at all? For us, it has certainly changed in that it um, it is not as price driven as uh, my consumer isn't as price driven as they as maybe once upon a time, um, and that doesn't mean that people don't want to get a good price on something. It's just that you know the there's such an interest in wine. And it's not like 
it's not like candy bars or something that you can crank up the production on. You know, the, this you know it's a the supply and demand you know logic in business applies, of course, to wine. And so as the world grows and the interest grow, you know, ex the, the world, the global interest in wine expands um, and things are, are becoming, you know, less available. So mm -hmm. supply and demand. So I, I think I have more customers now that know that we're the ones that are going to get, you know, the, you know, the two cases of Aligote from Walter Scott or something like that. You know, it's like, uh, or I don't know, maybe Doug Tunnell makes that, uh, you know, his gamay comes out and, and, you know, it's harder and harder to get now. But, you know, we'll always have some of that. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, like a lot of that comes with longevity. I mean, I've been doing it a long time. So. I want to talk about that now. Uh, uh, obviously, you've seen a lot of changes in the industry. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I'm curious, for, from your perspective, how do you sort of keep track of the industry now that it has grown so much, and, and what are you what are you, what are you finding important to, to to keep tabs on? That's a good question. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I'm not even sure how to answer that. I think that um, fortunately, I, as I said, I've been doing it for so long that you know there's a lot of things from just a business standpoint that uh, you know that I is it's just like it's part of my circadian rhythm you know it's like I like I, I know that I need to start thinking champagne now even though it's July you know that you know I'm gonna start making some decisions for for November and December you know so there's you know there's a lot of, of that um, I'm not much of a trend follower so um, so you know the way when you know, like, I don't know, I mentioned the draw earlier, but, you know, if if something's trending or trendy, um, you know, we're, I'm a little bit more um, play the long game. You know, it's like, well, let's, you know, let's see if that's still around in a while. You know, it's like, if it might be something that I buy into early, you know, like I, you know, when we started doing the Jura, you know, we didn't even, I didn't even have a, a shelf placement for anything from there, you know, but now, but now, you know, it's all over the shop, you know, so, so, um, I guess, you know, I have a willingness for things to evolve. I mean, I, I've been doing it long enough to know that I don't know very much, you know, <laughs> so I'm totally willing to, you know, to, to learn more and to, and to apply that to, um, you know, to however my shop might need to evolve. Um, but, uh, but, you know, time flies. So, you know, you're just, you're sort of right back into, well, these are the things we need for Thanksgiving or, you know, it's New Year's, we, you know, or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's like, it just, you know, time keeps moving, marching along. And, um, so a lot of the things that are already established, you know, the, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. So. Let's talk about the Oregon industry a little bit. Obviously, you, you've seen a lot in the Oregon industry. So tell me the, the biggest changes from your perspective and uh, what the industry looks like to you now in 2022. Hmm. Well, I think that um, one of the beautiful things about the industry is that it has come back to that cottage industry feel. That in the beginning, there was definitely a cottage industry feel. Everybody helping each other, um, whether it's 
growing and harvesting techniques or what was working in, in even make, you know, in making the wine. Just, you know, there was all sorts of communication in the beginning. And that, there was a, there was a short period um, in the, in the uh, late 80s and early 90s where that kind of went away for a little while because, you know, m money started showing up in, in Oregon. And, uh, and so if you, you know, if you were saying, you know, oh, I've found this vineyard and it's, it's uh, you know, it's producing some, like, for example, um, the pines, you know, with that, with uh, that old vine Zinfandel, you know, in the very, in the very beginning, it was sort of, you know, Jarbo sort of stumbled upon that and, and, uh, and then that, you know, was established or was uh, determined that it was a very old vineyard and, and we, you know, started pulling some fruit off of that and, you know, Rossback really ended up with, with all of that. But there was a time when Deep Pockets came in and said, oh, that's pretty cool. And so we're just going to buy all that, <laughs> you know? So everything kind of went hush-hush there for, for a little while. And, um, and so it's, it's nice now, you know, that I feel like people have come back to, um, uh, sharing, you know, a little more openly again, you know, realizing that Mother Nature is only going to give you so much to work with anyway. So, you know, you may as well, you know, help each other and get the most out of it and get the best out of it. You know, you've already got your contracts established. You're already doing what you're doing. Um, you know, and I love the way that people help each other out, you know, with those fires a couple of years ago, um, you know, the 2020 ones, in, in, you know, in particular. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, that Dick Shea calls up, you know, Ken and says, you know, some people didn't take their fruit. I'm, you know, it's like, this is a big deal. And, you know, Ken Wright's just like, okay, well, I'm going to find a way to buy some of that fruit from you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'll, you know, you know, and, and, and not miss a learning opportunity, you know, also, you know, it's like, well, the, you know, we've got to figure out what's happening with this. Not like those are going to be the last fires. And so, you know, the, I love the way that it continues to evolve and, and people continue to learn and people are helping each other, you know, continue to help each other. But with that said, I would say that there's a lot of wineries now, and I think that's like where, where Stephen at Antiquium, you know, is, um, is, or, you know, I guess, you know, there, there's definitely people like, you know, Will with violin or, or Ken and Eric, as I mentioned, you know, certainly John Paul, um, you know, that really acknowledge the relationship and the, and sort of what, you know, how, how it, it all um, gets to the end consumer and how that's been over the years, you know. I mean, Cameron won't, you know, they don't DTC, you know. Their, their whole deal is, oh, yeah, we've got great wine and this is where you can get it. Mm -hmm. These are the people who've supported us all along. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that. And I think that there's a, you know, you know with that sort of camaraderie and, and appreciation for how the whole system works, um, it really does work, and I think that there are more, you know, there's just so many more wineries now. There's so many, you know, and, and people are coming to it, as I mentioned, you know, more from an industrial endeavor than something that's sprung out of agriculture that's, well, this land's been in our family forever, and this is just a natural evolution of what we do. Um, you know, someone's buying this land, setting up a facility or not, you know, like I think Vlasic was, Mark Vlasic was super smart about, you know, well, I'm going to start with an industrial piece of land, you know, and not, you know, not uh, invest in the winery until my lab label's established. That was genius. Um, but uh, I think that, um, 
you know that people have some upfront costs now that are very different than they used to be. Yeah. And so you know they you know the the whole idea with going direct to the consumer. Well, of course, that makes a ton of sense because you're going to, you know, you're going to get greater margin on that. Um, but, you know, the, but sometimes when, you know, I think that it's probably mirrors, you know, a lot of society, you know, just as a microcosm of it in the wine industry where, where you have, you know, people that are relatively new to it that don't have that respect for the, the history, you know. And so, you know, like our shop is a great shop to, to you know, to be... Um, not exactly discovered, but you know, it's like I mean, I, I I was the first to sell a lot of wines, a lot of different wines, and um, you know, I think a really good example of that is I rarely, I mean, now we're closed on Sundays, so it's not a big deal. But back in the day, I mean, I was you know never closed, you know, <laughs> and we closed on a Sunday, and we went up. Uh, it was uh, um, a woman who uh, worked here; it was her birthday, and we went up to uh, Walter Scott uh, for a, a, a field trip for the, for the whole crew. And um, before we got started with anything, Ken's like, you got to come and taste this wine. So we go over to Coelho and um, met Tomas Sarve for the first time. And he's got all the, the first vintage of Lingua Franca in barrel. And I was like, this stuff is incredible. Well, you know, Ken had no problem with turning us on to that. He's like, you know, he knows I love his wines. We're going to sell his wines. And so... Um, so we we go and we try these you know these lingua franca wines they're they're incredible, and so um, you know a year passes or so and I get a hold of Tomat I'm like isn't that stuff in bottle yet and it's like shouldn't we be getting on with with selling some of that? And he's like well Larry's got to meet you, and so the, he comes down with Larry Stone and and uh, who's who's you know such an intelligent guy you know he's like. Oh, this was just a formality. I already did my homework on you. You know, I, you know, I know that we're gonna we're gonna sell this. And so then we were the first retail shop on the planet to sell lingua franca, and that's kind of special. And that is not because we just started doing this yesterday. Mm. It's because we have this long history that goes all the way back to when, you know. Ken Paolo was a salesperson for, you know, Vanguard or something, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, that, that history, you know, just played all the way, all the way through to now. So I think from a consumer standpoint, we're a shop where that's great. You know you can come in and find that. From a winery standpoint, you know, someone like, you know, Larry was like, this is the shop that we want to be in. You know, it's like they'll take care of Eugene for us. This is, you know, this is where we want to be and being very calculated about where things go and respecting that there's, that there's, you know, a, a method to all of this. Mm -hmm. And of course they have a big, you know, wine club now and all, but they, they, you know, we continue to sell their, their wines and of course they've sold now too, but, um, but, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of the ones that start up that are, are maybe more fixated on how they're going to rise to the top in all of this. And, you know, I'm, I think with the curveballs that Mother Nature's throwing, that's a, that's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you can have a crummy vintage and, you know, it's... I'm happy to help out if the, you know, if, if I can if we have a relationship, you know, but... Uh, you know, anyway, so I no, think that's kind no, of answers your question. Not really anyone there to have your back if, if needed, is what you're saying. Like if, if, if you're starting kind of, if you're focusing on that, no one has your back. No one has your back. That you're on your own, yeah. you know? And so, you know, um, but you know, I, I think that 
you know, a lot of people have, you know, with the with the fires and all, you know, there was a lot of integrity around around, you know, making sure that you don't denigrate your your, your label and put out something that's you shouldn't or that I wouldn't be proud to sell. I mean, how have the wines changed here? Well, they've gotten consistently better, you know. I mean, just if better is a term you can actually apply, um, you know, to it. Um, I think that they've become more um, precise, you know. I think that there's that, they, that people understand the fruit, you know, in a different in a way that you couldn't have possibly understood in the late '70s, and um, you know that they really understand more what the valley, you know, can can do and and. Uh, um, you know, there's a there's a enough of a history now with all of the wineries that it's easier to um, identify a style, you know, and so you know some people make it in a in, you know make wine in, in in this way and others make it in that way and and so that's a little bit more established and so I think that that's a change that it's not it's not so it's not as random as it used to be. Um, I think that there's a lot more adventure. Well, I guess it was there was always adventure, but but now people are maybe a little more adventurous with with you know trying to do things you know like I don't know like Chad and Bree you know Chad you know it's like they're doing some some pretty wild things you know and it's working you know I mean I think that that sort of of uh, mind of Chad's is like reflected in the in those you know particularly those limited edition wines that are that are coming out those are like you know they're tapping into the to the industry trend a little bit but they're really doing it in a precise way so wines are great so. so as you look ahead for the future then of Oregon wine what will the industry look like as it continues to evolve well I think that um, it's no mystery that the you know Oregon State University has uh, a program for transitioning small businesses in fam within families you know, there's that, that that's a really difficult thing to do, and I think that with the way that the um, climate is going, um, uh, I think that we'll probably see more big players, just like we're already seeing. I mean, that's like, you know, not some revelation that I'm saying that. I mean, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing French money, we're seeing California money. I mean, we're seeing, you know, some big money come into to Oregon, and I don't, you know, I, I completely understand how. Um, you know, maybe another gen uh, another generation doesn't want to take over. Um, you know, the way that they they had. I mean, it was. Um, you know, when Jason took over from David, it was like that was incredible. You know, and and you know maybe we'll see you know more of that. But I don't know. You know, I mean, I think that uh, it's pretty attractive if someone wants to come in and put enough zeros at the end to say, well. We could do something else. I mean, I tell my kids all the time, if you really enjoy wine, don't work with wine. You know, do something where you can afford to drink it. You know? So, yeah. yeah. What about what's next for you? Well, you know, I'm no spring chicken. I mean, I started when I was pretty young. And so um, what I'd really, you know, I'd love to have happen is... Uh, is to establish that you know the Broadway can work without me. You know, I think that was a huge flaw in the beginning, and continues to be that. You know, I'm just worked so much and was so involved every day that um, 
it's pretty annoying for the people that work for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not only am I here all the time, but everyone that walks in when I'm not here is asking for me. And so that, you know, that's just not a good plan. <laughs> and so uh, for me, I would hope that um, I'd be able to, you know, transition out of that and see if we can make it run in my absence. And, uh, and if not, you know, um, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I haven't been able to get to because I've been on this moving train of keeping, you know, keeping this business going. Um, you know, whether it's writing uh, about wine, visiting the wineries, and actually doing some writing because I don't really visit wineries very often. Um, you know, I think that uh, interstate commerce is is pretty tough. You know, there's there's people who have mastered that. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty hard to do with brick and mortar. It's a lot easier if you're a winery. Or, but, um, but to be a brick and mortar shop and, and, and be able to have a good internet presence, that's pretty, that's pretty tough. So, you know, I could see maybe if I wanted to work harder, I might do something like that. <laughs> but, um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm about ready to just have a glass of wine and not, and not keep, you know. <laughs> I mean, I probably have a ways to go. I'm not that old, but, you know. So... Uh, with that said, aside from kind of making the place work without you being around quite so much, are there other goals you have for the for either for the business or for this particular location? Um, well, I would really like to see the Broadway continue. That would be the only real goal. I mean, I, I, I think that um, you know my kids aren't really interested in in, uh, in continuing this business, but I don't really want it just to go away. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, it took a long time to get this thing to where it's at. So, um, you know, I don't really want it to just, uh, you know, fade, you know, fade away. I'd like to see it continue because mm -hmm. I think that it's, you know, it's an important part of the wine culture, you know, to have a place where you can go and actually, you know, have people that have some depth on what they're offering. You know, not, you know, not just book smart, but, you know, mm -hmm. really... You know, it's a it's a it's a tricky thing to you know. You asked earlier about when a customer comes in. You know, how do you how do you sell them something, or you know, how, how does that work? You know, how do they how do they become a customer of yours? And it's a tricky thing because I've been doing it for so long that you know I've got a ton to say about every bottle that's in there. <laughs> you know? And so knowing when not to say it is is part of is part of what you got to learn. But um, um, you know, I think that there's enough. Like if you go inside the shop and, and, and you know, we've got a, a whole wall up there that has, you know, all these trophies from wine dinners, all these bottles, you know, from all these different things that we've done over the years. And, and uh, you know, it's, it'd be, it'd be a shame to see that all just, you know, fade away because there's, a, you know, there's a lot of things up there from people that, you know, are no longer with us now, you know, that were a big part of the industry, you know, at, at some point, you know, and globally, not just, not just here in Oregon, but, you know, that's, so, and I think that this also has become such a, such a spot for, um, you know, making those connections for, for the consumer too. It's not just, you know, like, yeah, of course I've benefited from having this wine shop and being able to visit wineries all around the world and that type of thing. But um, but so have my customers. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of my customers have met, you know, really amazing people from you know uh, wine producing regions all over the world and have gone and visited them. You know, <laughs> so um, so that's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just uh, you know to have something that's not 
to provide something to the community that's not, um, you know, just get, grabbing your bottle of wine off the shelf. Right. Yeah. So as you look back at this point then, what are, the, what are you proudest of? Perseverance. Yeah, I mean, that's really the thing, you know, that uh, when I first started doing this, um, you know, I was, as I said, I was pretty young. And I thought, gosh, you know what would be really great would be to, to be able to um, provide jobs in the community and to, um, you know, to employ people, that that would be, you know, a worthy thing to do um, with my life. And, uh, and so I've been able to do that, so I'm pretty proud of that. And, um, and that we've persevered through some pretty tough times to do that. Um, you know, that decade downtown was horrible, and it got to the point where I couldn't employ anybody. And, uh, you know, then I came out here and I turned it back around, and so, you know, I employ folks, and that's, that's a good thing, and I'm pretty proud of that. And we've maintained our integrity through it all, which I feel pretty good about. You know, I, I feel like we haven't, uh, um, you know, tried to do anything that we're doing at any, anybody else's expense. You know, it's like, you know, I, whatever you're doing with your shop or, you know, your winery or whatever, that's, you know, we're, this is how, this is how we do it. You know, we try to respect, you know, the, the, the wineries and the, and the consumers and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, you, you know, there's, there's a story for everything, you know, but I think a good example of what our shop has tried to be is I'm kind of a stickler about appointments because there's only so many hours in the day and so it's like you know you, you kind of have to be be on your game and uh, these guys rolled up it looked like uh, men in black you know these guys rolled up in these Escalade SUVs with the tinted windows and everything and got out in their suits and and uh, and came in without an, out an appointment and they were um, which you know whatever it's like not untouchable you know but uh, <laughs> but uh, um, they were coming from a pretty fancy winery in California and they wanted to, you know, show me their wares and and uh, and this woman walked in about the same time and uh, and I was like, Oh, I'm so glad you're here because I I had had uh, unearthed this um, organic white Zinfandel for her. And you know, white Zinfandel is sort of a you know, not exactly something that you know, that the uh, wine enthusiast pursues. Um, but you know, it was ten dollars, and it was organic, and it was what she wanted, and I was so glad. I mean, it took me a while to find it, you know. So when I, when I tracked one down, I found one, and I got it for her. And these guys in these suits were like, "I just got to ask you, you know, it's like, how could you possibly be excited about selling her that?" You know, to which I'm like, "Do you have an appointment?" <laughs> you know? So I mean, I like the fact that I can work for myself, mm -hmm. and so that's something I'm also pretty proud of. That I, you know. We don't have to have some big corporate meeting to get a decision made, and, and um, you know I'm willing to take the knocks if I make a bad decision, but I, you know um, I'm also willing to make a decision. Mm -hmm. So that's you know I think that's a you know having you know looking back and having that question like what are you proud of? Well, I don't know. It sounds kind of <laughs> sounds kind of corny. It's like oh I did it my way. I guess I'm proud of that. You know. <laughs> so but it's true. You know it's like. You know, I, I used to joke around, you know, that um, when I figure out something 
and, and it worked. You know, I would joke and I'd say, "Oh, you know who told me to do that?" You know, it's like no one. <laughs> you know, so uh, so that's. I think that's something to feel pretty good about too. Is just kind of, you know, not. You know, like, can't tell you how many times I'd have a customer come to me and be like, "Oh, that wine you told me about. You know, it, I I saw that. You know, Parker just gave it 98." And I was like, yeah, I told you you'd like that like a year ago when it was available. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it got 98, it's not available anymore. You know, I can't get you any. He's like, oh, you know. And so, um, you know, I, I feel proud that we, you know, we have the type of place that we've got a lot of customers that don't rely on that. You know, that, that they actually know that, you know, we make an effort to make mm -hmm. sure that there's some in integrity around what, you, what you're getting and, and, um, and they can shop with confidence and, you know, contributed to my hometown. That's something to be proud of. So. All right. That's all the questions that I have for you. Uh, anything well, I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that you'd like to cover? Gosh, I don't think so. You know, I, it's. I think it came through that you know that I that I'm. I feel fortunate, you know, that I worked hard and everything. But I just I really feel lucky that that um, you know my. And my wife's, you know, put up with me not being here, trying to get this, you know, trying to get the business going and get it in a good place. And, and that, you know, my, my in-laws originally, you know, my, my, um, my in-laws don't know much about wine, um, but they really um, just believed in, in, in me and, mm -hmm. and what we were doing. We're like, you know... If that makes sense, you know, we, we should we should do that. And and gosh, my father-in-law totally built the the wine bar side of things without really having, you know, much knowledge about it himself at all. Just like, no, if this is good, then let's do it. So, so I guess um, the one thing that I would want to come through is that, uh, you know, is that uh, you know, I just feel lucky. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and for uh, hospitality on this nice warm day. Yeah. And we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.